0: The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. I wanted to ask you guys a question this morning. Have any of you guys ever been able to go to work with either your mom or your dad ever in your life? Anybody get to go to work with your mom or dad? Yeah, it's kind of a cool concept if you ever get to do it. It's, it's fun. It's revealing. Uh, you you kind of get to know them better when you see your mom or dad on the job. In fact, uh, they have every April, they, they've established a take your child to work day. And there are certain workplaces that cooperate with that and let people bring their child into the workplace just to see uh, what it looks like. Of course, if you worked in the ER, uh, that'd be a little bit of a problem, uh, but it, there is cool things you can do. I remember years ago, my father was a fireman and we got to go to the firehouse, slide down the pole and do all that kind of cool stuff. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, but one time, uh, what, I, what I also got to do, my father was involved in, um, in real estate and buying some properties and renting them out and fixing them up. So as a, as a young kid in New York City, I got to go and uh, go to work with my father and my brother and we'd go to work painting and stuccoing uh, buildings, different properties that had uh, different tenants. And it was, it was really great. I think I was way underpaid. Um, there's probably child labor laws for, for that. I think we got $2 an hour uh, back in the day. So we're getting $2 an hour to paint and the stucco. And here's the highlight of the day. The highlight of the day was lunch. When you're little, the highlight is lunch because we'd go to these Italian delis. And if anyone's ever been to a back east Italian deli, Anybody? Backies, they make these big fat sandwiches, these big heroes. So all day as a little kid, you're painting in stucco and you're looking forward to lunch. And lunch was probably about $5 for a hero sandwich and a big Pepsi. So I spent most of my check on lunch, definitely eating up the profits, no pun intended, and so, but it was a great experience to go to work with dad. You get to learn dad and his rhythms and you know the nature of your parents better if you, if you get to work with them. And I wanted to say that for this reason. Could you imagine yourself literally going to work with God, literally working with God, going to work with God, literally getting up in the morning and saying, Father, what are we doing today? What's on the agenda today, Father? What are we doing? And actually stepping out and going to work with the Father. That's a pretty uh, novel idea right there, but I would suggest to you in Scripture, that is the idea, that is the principle, that is the premise, that is the design that you and I would actually get up here from heaven and go to work with God. In fact, Jesus modeled that perfectly. He said, everything I do, I do in obedience to the Father. And Jesus modeled working for the Father. Everything he did was an expression of the Father's love, the Father's service, the Father's unconditional forgiveness. Everything he did. In fact, he not only modeled it for us, he also taught us how to work with God through the parables. And the parables are all these short stories in the Bible that we can relate to today that have different people and images in the story. And if we read them carefully, you and I are usually in the story. We usually go, well, which one am I in that story? And the point is, Jesus has been teaching these parables to tell us this is the way it works in the realm of God. Uh, There are many people on the planet. If you were to ask them, tell me, how do you get to heaven? Everyone's got their own view. Uh, If you ask people, what is God like? Everyone has their own view. But Jesus, God's son, came and said, no one knows the Father but me. I've seen the Father. And when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So listen up. And he shares all these parables so we will know what the realm of God is really like, how we enter in it how we live a blessed life, how we walk in purpose and calling in the, the protections of the kingdom, the blessings of the kingdom, the distinction of the kingdom, the economy, all these cool things are all in the parables. Well, Jesus, as we're picking up in Matthew 21, if you have your Bible with you this morning, um, we are teaching through the uh, book of Matthew and we are at Matthew 21 and Jesus had just taught a parable about two sons who said, the father said to them, I want you to go work, work in my vineyard. And one said, said, sure, dad, and never ended up going. But the other son said, no, I'm not going to. But he changed his mind and he went. And we looked at that last time, the distinction of do we go, we're asked to go, do we step in and out? Now, Jesus in the same breath is continuing this conversation. Now, in his audience, there's disciples there, but there's the religious leaders. And the religious leaders are getting more and more intense against Jesus, and they're about to start challenging him and questioning him. But Jesus now is shifting the conversation to them Because the Jewish leaders should know better. The Jewish leaders should know all about working with God. How many of you know way back in the Old Testament, God said to Israel, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will make my dwelling among you, right? And so Israel was supposed to understand, I'm going to go with the presence of God and Israel is going to be a witness to the whole world because God chose us to be a witness to the whole world. Well, what we see through the last week's passage is that Israel started to get very uh, exclusive, about who's in and who's not, who can come into temple this far, who can't. Uh, There was, Israel wasn't really doing outreach per se. We don't hear stories of uh, Israel sending prophets to reach out to the world around them. They were rather protecting the world that they had. And so they were very cynical about the Greeks and the Gentiles and they had a very, they looked down on them as if they were more elite in the faith and Jesus came and was destroying that saying the kingdom of God is inclusive. And he just told them last week, he goes, look, the prostitutes and the drunkards are getting in ahead of you guys. The religious leaders didn't have a category for that. They're like, but I thought we are the the elite ones. He goes, no, it's a heart condition thing. And there's prostitutes and drunkards who are seeing the kingdom and going, yes, I need it and I want it. And they're getting in ahead of the religious elite. So Jesus builds on this theme right now. If you have your Bible or we'll put it on the screen for you or on your phone, however you read your word, Uh, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to look at this in sections, and it goes like this. Uh, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Then the harvest time approached. He sent his servants to the tenants to collect its fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. And let's stop right there. To set this up, every time you see a parable, there's distinctions, there's characters, there's people, there's events, there's things in there. And we have to read The parable, and this is what's beautiful about parables. You can read them all through time and go, wow, this makes sense. What does that represent? What does this represent? Am I in the parable? And if I am, which one am I? And you get to look at the landowner. The landowner is God. God, in fact, is the landlord. He's the Lord of all things. Amen. How many of you know that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it? right? As Psalms tells us in Corinthians, the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's name. God is the landowner. He's the landlord, and he planted a vineyard. A vineyard is a place and an opportunity to cultivate hearts, cultivate hearts for the glory of God. That's what the vineyard is. Uh, there's a way that seems right to man, but it ends in, in death, the Bible says. Uh, oh, how the heathen rage, and everyone does what's right in their own eye. There's this the uh, principle in scripture that everyone's got their own view of what they want to do and god's calling people into relationship with himself and that's why he sent his son because he loves the world and the only thing separating was sin so my son was sent to take away the barrier so that people can enter into relationship with me and not just have eternity then but have life in the spirit now in relationship with god and so the vineyard is this opportunity it's a place and it's a time And it's a season. And so that's what the vineyard is. Now, the wall and the watchtower in the story, the wall and the watchtower, the wall is the protection of God. And you've got protection of God in your life. You've got probably more protection than you know. You could probably look back at stories in your life and say, I probably shouldn't have made it. But you did. And the reason is, is because there's a wall of protection that God has around you. Nothing happens without it getting past God. And then the next one, it says, there's a watchtower. That means you're looked out for. I can look back in my life when I didn't know I was being looked out for, and I can look back and go, wow, I was being looked out for. So these are the components of life in this large vineyard that we have, and there's a wine press in it, and a wine press represents, obviously, you're harvesting the grapes and you press, uh, press the grapes, and so the wine press represents everything we need to produce life. How many of you know God's given us everything we need for life and godliness? We've got a wine press. He's given us, he's resourced us. His people have what they need. We pray for other things and God blesses us, but we have all the stuff we need, all the, the basic things we need to enter into working with God in this, in this area. Now, the tenant, the tenant, that's where we come in. The tenant is the renter in the story. And it represents in this one um, the fact that it doesn't belong to them. The, the, the vineyard doesn't belong to them. In fact, nothing really belongs to us, whether you're renting or you're owning anything. Some of you are renting an apartment or a condo or a house. Maybe you're owning or you're buying something. The point is, we can't take any of it with us, amen? So really, we're all renting, aren't we? We're all really renting, any way you look at it. We're all passing through. We don't take anything with us. So in the story, when you, when you hear about the tenant, you're like, oh, I think that's me. I think I'm the tenant in the story. And first of all, he's talking about Israel because they were the original tenants, of this and this is where the tension builds in the story and the expectation of the tenant is that we'll enjoy it enjoy the vineyard that the lord gave us but also that we take care of it that we take care of it we enter into things that please uh, the landlord now many of you have different experiences and i'm sure if we had times to tell the stories i'm sure some of you have roommate stories right anybody got roommate stories can i get a witness um Yeah, there's probably all kinds of roommate stories, whether it was moving into your first college dorm where you're a tenant there, renting your first apartment, whatever it might have been. There's all kinds of stories we have of the experience of being a tenant with a landlord and the dimensions of of working that stuff out. Um, But the Bible in this passage is telling us that God is the landlord. He's the landlord of our life and everything we do is a matter of stewardship and one day we're going to stand before him and give an account and that's where this story goes because it tells us in the passage with Israel that the father the landlord expected a harvest and so what he did is he sent his he sent his servants and this represents the old testament prophets and he sent the servants to, the, to Israel and says, how are we doing? And the, Israel, the prophets would speak to Israel and speak to them about, hey, change. Look, do this. God's telling you to enter into this. but You guys are running that way. God's calling you this way. And many of the prophets were, in fact, rejected. In fact, Isaiah, the prophet, uh, history talks about the way he was killed. And it was just brutal. I won't even describe it this morning. But the prophets have been rejected historically. They've stoned and killed uh, the prophets. And uh, in fact, John the Baptist, when he came in, they didn't want to hear him. And they were so glad Herod removed him. It was like an obstacle to them. Get him out of the way. They, they didn't want to hear that. And yet they were supposed to be the tenants working with God on the harvest. And this is where um, the, the passage builds. Now you can imagine right now, as Jesus is speaking to them, you can imagine the religious leaders at this point know Jesus is talking about them. He's saying, you've been planted in a harvest field. You were expected to work with God. Every time he sent messengers on the harvest, you've kind of destroyed them and ran them off. And so this is where these guys, things are starting to change in the whole story right now. God the, land, the landlord says this, you've run off all the other prophets. I've sent many messengers. Here's what I'm going to do. This will surely get your attention. This will surely get your heart. I am going to send my son I'm going to send my only son, my only begotten son, Jesus the Messiah. I will send him to you and for sure, for sure, you're going to respect him. Because you're going to know he comes from me. For sure, you're going to respect him. Certainly, you will listen to him. And let's see how the passage builds. Verse 38, but when the tenants saw the son, They said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus was obviously speaking prophetically here because that's exactly what happened just a few weeks past or even less when Jesus is teaching this story. We just saw Jesus come in on Palm Sunday. He's in his final week in Jerusalem. So when Jesus is sharing this story, within seven days, this prophecy comes true. Jesus is telling them they're not taking care of the vineyard. Things are about to change. And they don't even listen to the son. And they, in fact, take the son and they put him out of the vineyard. They put him out of the city, out of the city walls, out of the city gates. They put the son out of the city and they have him, in fact, crucified. And that's what happened prophetically. It moves on in verse 40 and says this. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes... What will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the venue to other tenants. Everybody say other tenants. tenants. Who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that Jesus was a prophet. So Jesus is just telling them the vineyard's going to be taken away from you now, and it's going to be given to an entirely different people. There's a big shift going on prophetically in scripture about Israel being the chosen. They're still chosen, and the Bible tells us later on in, in Romans chapter 10 that later on at the latter days when there's a completion of the Gentiles, when many, many, many Gentiles Uh, non-Jewish people come to faith that eventually he's going to lift this veil of limitation. They're going to see that Jesus is, in fact, their Messiah, and there's going to be a whole big harvest of Jewish people. But in the meantime, they struck out again and again and again on being the priesthood, on being working with God in the harvest field. So God, Jesus is saying, it's being taken away from you, and it's been given uh, to to others. And so uh, tell somebody next to you. I think he's given the vineyard to you. Tell him that. Tell him. <laughs> That's what he's doing right here. This is pretty, pretty amazing. He's taking the vineyard from others and he's given it to those who will be faithful with it. That's what the passage is saying. He says, I'm giving it to other tenants, but the ones I'm going to give it to, and not just anybody, I'm going to give it to those, a people who will produce its fruit. Everyone say produce its fruit. That's the heart of the Father. And Israel was supposed to be a priesthood. And they were supposed to be a priesthood to the nations, a a light, a representation to the nations. But upon rejection of the Messiah, the ones who accepted Messiah and got in on the fullness of God's wisdom and knowledge and truth and revelation and forgiveness, he's like, I'm giving it to another people who will appreciate and who will do what I did. Jesus came to remove the sin barrier and lead people into relationship with the Father that can only be done through the removal of sin. And Jesus told his followers, as you've seen me do, you do also. Uh, that we step out into this amazing commission to do this stuff. And, And Israel's like, we're not doing that. We're exclusive. We've got this little thing and we make sure everyone else is following the rules that we have. And Jesus said, no, we're not doing that. I'm being the atonement. I'm gonna do what you can never do on your own. I'm gonna pay the price. I'm gonna tear the curtain in the temple. I'm gonna remove separation with God for through the forgiveness of sins and through my sacrifice is a free opportunity for everyone to enter into relationship with God. And that's what's going on. And Jesus is looking for people to produce this kind of fruit in sharing that message, to step into this kind of work. And the work is simply sharing the gospel and sharing your testimony. The Bible says we overcome by both. When we share the gospel, people hear the good news. And I don't know about you guys, but have you noticed there's an awful lot of good news in this? Have you noticed that? It's the good news of the cross ultimately. That is the ultimate good news of the removal of the barrier between us and God. But the peace of God, the joy of God, the love of God, His presence of His Spirit in our life is all kinds of good news in this book. And so the bottom line is when you share the good news of Jesus Christ, people start moving from darkness into light. And we said last week that sometimes on average, people have to hear the gospel on average, statistically, seven times before they respond. Some people, it's more than seven. It could be 14. I think I was on the far end of that. Anybody else on the far end of that one? Sometimes we're on the far end. Some people hear it one time. Praise God for that. So the point is when you and I engage people through the love of God and share the gospel, the needle starts to move in people's life where they start to see what Bible, the Bible says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we step into this work and the fruit is actually seeing people come to Christ. We shared last week the crazy statistic that most Christians, listen, most Christians don't lead one person to Christ their whole life. Most Christians in America. That's shocking because we're the people of the harvest. He just took it away from people that wouldn't produce his fruit and he gave it to a people that would produce its fruit. And yet, many Christians, not one, come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to the Father, I'm sending you my spirit. Go into all the world and make disciples. And yet, we often think in American Christianity that Jesus died on the cross to make us better people or to attend church or to behave better. Those might be parts of it, But that's not the main event. The main event is he came to take away the sin barrier. God so loved the world, he sent his son and removed the barrier of sin that we can never be in relationship with God. And he, he loves the world so much that he wants to send his children to share that same very message, but so many never step into it. So many never step into it. And Jesus, why are we camped out on this, Pastor B? Because we're going through the book of Matthew and Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's going to the cross within seven days and Jesus is relentless on this topic. He talked about it last week. Jesus is camped out on this topic going, guys, if I go to the cross and I don't show you this and teach you this, then all you're gonna do is just, when I'm gone, just like go to church and try to behave well. But I'm going to the cross to do something for you and everyone you know. I am glad you're getting in on it, but I want everyone you know to get in on it. And that is the, the very premise of what he's talking about here. And so it goes on to say, and this is important because everyone in life seems to be building their life their own way. Uh, everyone has their own. There's a way that seems right to man. It ends in death. Everyone's building their life, their own way. And some people build their life on integrity, which is wonderful. Uh, Some people uh, build their life on taking the easiest way possible, the easiest way. They just go with the crowd, the easiest way. And some people build their life on on straight... you know, entertainment. Some people build their life on uh, whatever is just uh, pleasure or build their life on uh, the immediate gratification. There's all kinds of different ways of building lives. And if you look around at everyone you know, you see people tend to choose different ways in different cultures of how they want to build their life. But I'd suggest to you the only way to build our life is on the foundation of God. Amen. On the, uh, you know, Jesus talked about a wise man build his house upon the rock. When the storms come, it won't blow down. It won't wash away. So uh, the only way to do it is, is that way. And the only other way is to have some strong walls. Uh, it, it, the foundation on the walls will determine everything. You know, in a house, um, and some of you who do construction know this, some walls are just uh, cosmetic, really. They don't do much. And there's other walls that are load-bearing walls. Everyone say load-bearing. You need load-bearing walls in your life. You need load-bearing walls in your life. If you don't have load-bearing walls, you won't be able to have any weight on it. You won't be able to stack a roof on it. If you don't. In fact, if, the load, if, they don't bear, if they're not load-bearing, the roof will collapse the walls. The walls will fall down. But if they're load-bearing walls, they can handle a big, massive roof and everything. So I would suggest in our life we need the foundation of God, the foundation of the rock of Jesus. But we also need these, these walls. And this is important because Jesus says in this passage that he is the chief cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Now, in ancient building, and I think we have a graphic for this up here, in ancient building, the technique was you had to have this massive cornerstone, but it couldn't be any cornerstone. The cornerstone was so critical, uh, it had to be cut flawlessly straight, both the angle this way, the angle this way, and the other corner. Why? Because this corner, this corner had to be so straight that it was gonna determine the entire run of the whole building that way and the run of the building that way. But it was also gonna determine whether the walls are going out or the walls are going in. So having this cornerstone was monumental, it was epic. It was so important to the structural integrity of the whole building. And so a lot of times, if they got cornerstones and people chiseled them out, it took a long time to make a good cornerstone, but they would measure these things and they would look with precision. And if they weren't just perfect, it's rejected. Break it. No one's going to, we're not gonna build with that. But if they found a good one, if somebody made a perfectly good, that's the one we're gonna build with. And Jesus is saying this in this passage um, that the stone the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. And what that means is Israel, God is building something with you. And Jesus comes, and here he is to build, Jesus said, On this rock, I'm gonna build my church, right? And the gates of hell won't prevail. And and the Jewish leaders go, yeah, no, we're not having that. And Jesus is like, but I'm God's son. I'm the final, I'm, I'm coming to give you all truth, absolute uh, freedom with God and forgiveness and the Messiah, the, the, you know, the, the, the God's ultimate revelation. And they go, yeah, we're not gonna build with that. And Jesus said, okay, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What God is building now has Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Everything now in the economy of God is being built on Jesus, amen? It's built on Jesus. And this is something that is shifting uh, in the story. Now, I want you to uh, imagine this powerful visual, and it's verse 44, uh, because, you know, I've read this many times, and it struck me many times, but uh, this time it really, really struck me. And I want you to imagine this visual for a minute. It says this in verse 44, anyone on who falls on this stone, Jesus, this massive, by the way, that cornerstone you saw is a cornerstone, I believe, the southwest corner of the Temple Mount in Israel today, that massive stone you saw. They say it weighs over like five tons. It's over, the cornerstone is over five tons. Um, But this is what it says in verse 44. Anyone who falls on this stone, Jesus, the chief cornerstone, will be broken to pieces. But anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And, this passage is pretty profound. Uh, you know, when I read that passage, I'm like, "Oh my goodness, that's like a, that's a powerful passage. There's something very glaring going on here. But what exactly is it? What is Jesus really saying uh, in, in context here with this massive rock that 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 if we uh, fall on this stone, we will be broken to pieces. But if this stone falls on us, uh, we will be crushed. This is what I suggest that it means when we look at other things in scripture and the Bible says, make your life a living sacrifice to the Lord, right? Uh, if you want to know what God's will is, we make our life a sacrifice to the Lord. Israel understood sacrifice very much. They made sacrifice on of uncut stone was their altar. Massive slabs of uncut stone was the altars uh, in Israel per God's uh, description. And so when you lay your life, when you and I lay our life on the rock of Jesus, we're putting ourselves on the altar. Isn't that what it means to surrender to the lordship of Jesus? We put our lives on the altar. We don't just add a savior to our backpack or add a blessing. We actually come and, and we, we get off the throne. We make him the lord of our life. We elevate him to a place he never has been before. We, in, in essence, we put Our lives on the altar. And that's what's going on here. When you lay your life on the rock, as this is suggesting, it's putting your life on the altar. You put yourself in a place of surrender. And this is a place, listen, where you get sweetly broken. Say sweetly broken. Because broken isn't always bad. Broken can be sweet. Especially when God is breaking off the sin in our life, when he's breaking off the fears in our life, when he's breaking off the lies in our life. These are the come, some things that happen to us when we, when we start walking with Jesus and we walk in his wisdom and his counsel and his word and his spirit. He guides us in all truth. A lot of this stuff starts breaking off. The lies we believe, the sin in our life, the consequence of some of the sin, uh, the clouded thinking, um, all these things, the bondage or the, the fears or the doubts or the things from our past. As you walk with Jesus, he begins to break these things off. And sin falls off, bondage, all these other things. But listen, but some refuse to do that. Some say, no way. Jesus is on the rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And a wise man builds his house on the rock. And we surrender to the Lord. We we lay down and say, God, have your way with me. It's a beautiful place to begin. It is the place to begin. And we're sweetly broken, and God conforms us into his image, and we get transformed by the renewing of our mind. But some say, I'm not going to do that. I don't want Jesus to take away my sin. I'm fine on my own. Uh, you sure you want to do that? He's the rock. Why don't you come this way and come to him? Because he takes away the sins of the world, and we all have them, all of us. So let's just not kid about that. We all have them. So let's go to him because he's the only one. No, nope, I don't want that. I'm good. You sure about that? Yep. I don't want to come to Jesus, and I don't want him to take away my sins. I'll find my own way to get through life. I'll find my own way in eternity. I'll find my own way to heaven. Really? You sure you want to do that? Yep. Some would say that. And in that case, in that case, one day when they stand before God to give an account, they will try to stand under the weight of all their sin before a mighty God. And you know what's going to happen with the weight of their sin before a mighty God? They're not going to be able to stand it in the presence of mighty God. When the Bible talks about the glory of God, The glory of God. The glory has a reference to the weight of God. Literally the weight. We think glory. Is it lights? Is it shining? Is it cloud? What's the glory of God? Well, I don't know. The glory shone all around him. It says, but the glory has a descriptive element of weight to it. That the presence of God, there is weight. When they came to arrest Jesus and Jesus spoke, they all fell down. There's this element of the weight of God. The presence of God in a way that you're like, wow, I can feel and sense the presence of God. When the glory is there... It's present. There's weight. When we stand in the presence of God, ultimately, especially the ones that say, no, I don't want my sins taken away. I'm good. I hear you, but no, thank you. Uh, listen, we can lay on the rock of Jesus. We will be sweetly broken. Or we can say, I'm fine on my own. And we're going to stand before him because he's going to judge the living and the dead. And under the weight of our sin and the presence of a holy living God, people will be literally crushed under the weight of really their own Sin. And that's what this is saying. So anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. I don't know about you. It makes me want to go out and share the gospel with somebody, amen? Um, this process is sanctification. And when you fall on the rock of Jesus, there's a process in which we get broken. You know, I've been walking with Jesus a lot of years, but he's still, he's still breaking things in my life. Anybody else getting things broken in their life? But, but not bad broken good broken. Because I had things in my life that needed to be broken, and I still do. And that's the beauty of walking with the Lord. It's this process of consecration, this process of saying, God, here am I, send me, use me, conform me, transform me. We don't have it down. It's like you can take the the kid out of Egypt, but you still have Egypt in the kid. Amen? Right? You can take the kid out of Hollywood, but you still got Hollywood in the kid, right? And so you can take you come out of that world and you come to Christ and, and that's a beautiful day and there's a reality of what happens, but he's still working out, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. He's still working these things through us. And so uh, continue to allow God to continue to break your heart. But it's sweetly broken, it's not badly broken. He takes away hearts of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. And the way, he takes a start of, the way he takes away a heart of stone sometimes is to chisel and things have to get broken a little bit, right? He has to chisel away some of the outside hardness. That's okay. That's sweetly broken. But I trust if you allow his word and his spirit to work in your life, you're going to realize that your heart's going to line up more with his and he's going to give you a, a heart of flesh. That's his promise. But um, last week he said, my son and daughter, will you, will you please enter into my work? Will you go into my harvest field? I think we have a graphic from that from last week. The father is telling his sons, he's telling his sons and daughters, will you, will you enter my work? Will you, will, you go, will you go work in my vineyard? That's what he's saying. This isn't like a couple of evangelists he's saying to do this. He's saying this to his children. My son, my daughter, I took it away from them. I'm giving it to you to produce this fruit. Will you go to work in my vineyard? And that's really a question that only you can answer. We we can be like last week where we say, yes, I will, but not go. Or we can say, "Uh, no, I haven't gone, but I think I actually am uh, going to go. And this is really important. Uh, How many of you know God wants us to become fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium? Right? Fishers of men, not keepers. It's a lot easier to be a keeper of the aquarium, right? little 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 food in there once in a while you walk away. I'm good. No. Fishers of men, not keepers of the aquarium. God will do his part, but he wants to do our part. And this is what working with God is. If you're a note taker, here's three quick points and we're gonna be uh, gonna be wrapping up here in just one second. This is where you start in in working with God. Number one, know that you have been assigned to the harvest field. You've been assigned to the harvest field. This isn't like, maybe I have been, or maybe I... No, if you're a, a, a follower of Jesus, if you said yes to him, the first thing he says, follow me, I'm going to make you an a fisher man. You become one of these harvest workers, but some of us never actually stepped out into it. And uh, you got to know that you were called, you're assigned to this harvest field. That's where it begins, because a lot of people think this is optional, as evidenced by the fact that many Christians have never led one person to Christ. So that shows us that many do believe this is an optional thing. And he's saying, no, I love you. I called you. I saved you. Saved people, Save people, right? Redeemed people, redeem people. You know, found people, find people, amen? This is the heart of God. And so this is what the early church did. This is, they were all about this. They understood the commission and they understood all this stuff. But I think today, in American, our, our American version of Christianity is just, uh, come to church and be blessed and God will bless your whole life. And it's like, well, he will bless you. Um, but there's a whole lot more to the kingdom of God than just come to church and be blessed. It's enter into the work of God. And when you do, you will see the power of God, the transformation of God. You will get in on the celebrations. How many of you know in the Bible when one sinner repents, there's a celebration in heaven? Do you know that? Some, some of us haven't been getting in on those celebrations. God has celebrations for you. They're massive celebrations in heaven, but some of us don't get in, because we don't, we don't get into this harvest work. Listen, you've been assigned uh, to the harvest. That's where where it begins. You gotta know that. The second point is this you gotta know, you gotta know that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. You've got to know that. That's not just an idea or a nice, comfortable passage. Oh, that brings me joy, pastor. That is a spiritual reality, and many Christians don't know that, and I think it's one of hell's best-kept secrets, is to not let believers really believe that, because if you believe you're called to the harvest field, you've been assigned to it, and you believe truly what the, the word tells us, that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Think about this. Jesus is in the grave. He's cold. He's pulseless. He's dead, and he's been dead for three days. Right? They put the sword in his side. Blood, Water came out, meaning there's no life left. He is dead. Not halfway dead, partially dead, three-quarters dead, not in a coma. He is dead for three days. The Spirit of God in him phew, just comes to life and gets up off that table and says, death, get off me. Boom. And throws off the death clothes and walks out of this. And you're like, what? And Scripture says the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in him that rose him from the dead, is alive in you. Now, if you believe that, what you'll want to do is saying, Father, I want to work for you. I want to work with you. Show me who and show me where, and I'm going to walk this thing out. Because this is where it gets exciting. In fact, that's our third point this morning, is to to pray daily and speak daily. Pray daily and speak daily. If you're going to work with the Father, um, if you're going to work with God, you want to get up in the morning and get some uh, marching orders. Uh, you want to get up in the morning and say, God, I'm yours. Uh, who do you want me to talk to today, God? And he might say, go love on that person. See that neighbor across the street? I want you to bring their trash cans in. That's all I want you to do today. Sure. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're witnessing, you're starting to break through a gift Gives way to the giver. Do you know that in scripture? I don't know what he's going to tell you to do, but I trust he's going to say, uh, you know, uh, that guy, uh, Bobby in the, in the file room. Talk to him. The new guy, Bobby in the file room. Okay, I'll talk to Bobby in the file room. You don't know. You have no idea what Bobby in the file room is going through. No idea what he's going through, but God does. And God sees his heart and God hears his cries. And God sends his children. We said last week that many times, the only way that we know God's pursuing us is by God sending people to us. Amen. When we came to faith, we realized, well, he sent that person. I think God's trying to get my attention. He sent that person here and then that person, and then this happened. And I I guess I can't deny the fact that connecting the dots, God is getting my attention. He does that with us too. If we listen to him and we step into what he asks us to step in, people around you will realize, I think God's trying to get my attention. (laughs) Yes, he is, because he loves you and he's calling you by name and you were made for purpose and it starts with forgiveness And Jesus is the way. Are you ready? And some are like, yes. And some are like, no, I'm still thinking about it. It's okay. I'm praying for you. You think about it. But don't wait too long. Okay. It's great. It's great. It's moving the needle to Jesus. Pray and speak daily. Um, And that's, again, your gospel testimony, something about the goodness of God. You share that with people. Um, So what we're doing, guys, we're essentially offering people access to God. The Bible says there's no way to the Father but through the Son. And we also know through the Bible that that sin separates relationship with God. We're simply offering people access to God, which is amazing. And it happens through Jesus and what he does for us. And it's an amazing thing to be working with God. We're working with God to give people access to God. Have you thought about that? That's really what we're doing. We're giving people access to God through Jesus and and what Jesus has done personally uh, for them. In closing today, I trust you're here today because you believe you believe in god i trust you are here today because you have faith and you want god to grow your faith but i want to ask the question are you working with god are you working i know you believe and i know you have faith and we're not saved by working we're saved by grace the free gift but in response to this amazing free gift we're called into this work and i want to ask are you working the reality is many say yes and don't enter into this kind of thing. Um, the last thing I want to share is the words in Matthew twelve thirty, And we have a graphic for it up here because this is what's amazing about this same thing about working with God, working with God. Um, and it says, it says uh, this in Matthew twelve thirty. It says, um, anyone, J- Jesus' words, anyone who isn't helping me opposes me and anyone who isn't helping me is actually working against me. Wow. Read that again. Anyone who isn't helping me opposes me. Anyone who isn't helping me is actually working against me. Why, why is this a glaring thing? Because there's a lot of people say, well, I love God and I believe in God. But I'm not going to work with God. But don't worry, God. I'm not going to work against you. Like, I'm not going to say bad things about you. I would never do that. But I'm also not going to share faith or work with you to, you know, to, to, to minister. I, I'm just going to believe and I'm going to hang out like right here. And just that's my own zone. But I'm not going to do that or this. I'm going to hang out right here, which a lot of believers tend to do. And Jesus is saying, anyone who's not helping me is actually opposing me. And you're like, wow. Because if we are a Christian, we need to be Christ-like. Amen. If we're a Christian and we're not Christ-like, we're contradicting the very message of the one who sent us. Does that make sense? So, so if we're not um, helping, we're opposing. Uh, and he said, anyone who isn't helping is working against me. Another translation said, he who is not working with me is working against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Again, working with Jesus, gathering. This is, the, this is not one time in Scripture. This comes up a lot. The followers are intended to gather with Jesus. And that's really what he's calling us to do. Um, So in this passage, Israel was removed from the vineyard. You were placed in the vineyard. We were promoted to it, which tells me God is in the promotion business. And I want to tell you on the same line, the same line, if you're faithful with little things, God will let you be faithful with greater things. It's another promise that runs through scripture, specifically in the area of, This stewardship of the harvest, that if you, uh, everything we read in the scripture of the seeds being planted, he wants to see this multiplication. Um, He he desires that we bear much fruit. Uh, This is the kind of thing, again, we don't earn our way to heaven. There are some faiths out there that go door to door knocking. And the reason they're going door to door knocking is because they were told, even though scripture doesn't say this, they were told the way to heaven is by knocking on doors and earning your way like climbing a ladder. Scripture does not say that. We're saved by grace. It's a free gift. Can't earn it, buy it, don't deserve it. It's totally free. He paid a price we can't earn or deserve, and it's free. He paid it all, so we wouldn't have to pay it all because we never could pay what he paid. That's the beauty. But in response to this free gift, faith, faith works. Faith works. And we enter into this work of God, and he doesn't give you more than you can handle. It's not like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to like sell my stuff and go to China? And No, you're just supposed to represent where you're at love your neighbor, those who are nigh to you, those who are around you, start there. Start with your neighbors, your coworkers, people you see at the gym. Start right there. How you doing today? What's going on with you, man? You good? How can I pray for you? Huh? Yeah, how, seriously, like how can I pray for you? Oh, uh, well, I, I don't know, maybe. Uh, awesome, I'm gonna be praying for you. And all of a sudden, The needle is moving. The door is open. You're going to pray and they're going to let you pray or say, sure, pray for me. And God's going to start moving in their life because they're welcoming God in their life. And you're going to get to build on that relationship more, more and more. So I guess I want to say this in closing. Does anybody want to get promoted? God promotes. God's promotions are good. And God's promotions begin with being faithful uh, with little things. And I would encourage you to do that. We need to start working in the harvest field. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.